This is the West Concord Sermon Podcast. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you receive a blessing from today's message. Amen. And you may be seated. You know, I love how God works. Because this morning in our Sunday school classes, we focused on the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. The ultimate principality. Paul says, I am a citizen of heaven, whence comes my hope. We often get so enamored with things here, we forget that as believers, especially as believers. And the problem we faced for millennia, ever since the fall of Adam and Eve, we've tried to create our own kingdom, our own queendom for another lack of another phrase. We pad and puff up our world. We look to presidents and potentates to make our problems go away. We wave our flags and sing our songs. And primarily there's nothing wrong with that. I love America. I'm I'm an American. I love our country. I honor those who have served it. I appreciate my father and others who have put on the uniform. God bless you all. But through Jesus Christ, I am a citizen first and foremost of heaven. And as such, my focus must be taken from this world in the kingdoms of this world and put back on the King of kings and the Lord of lords. As we've gone through the latter part of the book of Revelation, in the last few weeks, we looked at this grand cosmic battle that would culminate in the battle of Armageddon as we saw last week in chapter 16. In the fall of Babylon the Great which is representative of all the godless world empires from primordial days until now. We're going to look at that again but in more detail. Because just before John tells us of the second coming of Christ in chapter 19, he's going to again share with us details about the godless world system that had arisen to seek to replace God's kingdom. And he's going to show us, he's going to take the, take the cover off the world as we know it and show us what it really is. In chapters 17 and 18, he gives us the sense of godless religion in the world. Godless religion founded first within the conflict of Cain and Abel, moving through human history and still in evidence today. And also the economic Babylon that exists, that has always existed, the materialism, the hedonism, the fluff and fashion of a world that ultimately is perishing. Jesus, for this reason, said, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. But even we believers get caught up in this world. And God has left us the rest of the story to remind us that this world isn't what it was meant to be. 
The kingdoms of this world with its counterfeit religions and its corrupt economic system will one day be brought down. For instance, if you look in the book of Genesis, in chapter 11, soon after the great worldwide flood, when God reset humanity, beginning with Noah's family, and as Noah's family after the flood began to prosper and and humanity began to grow again, God's first command to humanity was still the same. He said in Genesis chapter 1 that we are to bring the world into submission. He told Adam and Eve to go into all the world, be fruitful and multiply. He wanted humanity to spread across the earth and to grow and to thrive. But as humanity was thriving a second time after the great flood, human nature got in the way again. And instead of seeking the glorified God and to focusing on God as our king and his kingdom, humanity started looking at its own belly button. And we see in Genesis chapter 11 and verse 4, the famous story of the Tower of Babel. Humanity said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves. And look, look at this last line, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. Let's make a name for ourselves. Let's ignore God. Yes, he told us to be fruitful and multiply and go about the earth, but no, no, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna come up and, and be just us. We're going to disobey God on that count. And it was from that day, that moment, the city of Babylon would eventually rise because this was in the Shinar Valley. And Babylon draws its name from this tower of Babel. Babel, which means confusion. We get the word Babel from that today. Confusion because instead of glorifying God and focusing on His kingdom, what did we do? We glorified ourselves and again began to build our own little kingdoms and queendoms. And that's what we do today. What we don't realize or we fail to realize, fail to recognize, is that God is still the center of the universe and His kingdom is still supreme. But we continued to move along. As society began to flourish, Dr. John Walvoord and Roy Zuck said this. He said, as they were flourishing and things were happening, the New Testament, rather the Old Testament, hadn't begun to be written yet, so he said there was no record of a mark for the fugitive, namely Cain. No rainbow in the cloud it had been gone. God had given his promise. The rainbow symbol, symbology today has is, is been perverted. The image of the rainbow is to provide God's promise and hope. No ray of hope or token of grace. And this leaves the reader looking for a solution. We asked last week and answered, what's this world coming to? Well, we know what it's coming to. And as we continue to move through chapters 17 and 18, we see the resolution of human kingdom human religion. But the solution has always been the same ever since Genesis 18, excuse me, 318, where God promised He would raise up a Messiah, a Savior. 
Jesus Christ. He is the solution. It is through faith in Christ that we again are invited to realign our focus back upon God. To walk with Him and honor Him. And to live ultimately for His kingdom first. But man, we fail doing that. And it kept going on. From Genesis 11 forward, we read the rise and fall of many empires and kingdoms. Daniel gives us record of this. As a matter of fact, a grand image was in Nebuchadnezzar's dream representing all the Gentile powers that, would, that did and will exist one day. And in Daniel chapter 2 and verse 44, it says, In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up another kingdom. Well, what kings? Well, the statue represented the kingdoms of Babylon and Persia, Greece, and ultimately Rome, which was the kingdom in John's day. And then finally, the Antichrist would raise up and set up his own kingdom. And in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall be left to other people, and it shall break in pieces and consume all those kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. That's the kingdom we studied in Sunday school this morning. Because one day Jesus Christ, and we're going to see this in chapter 19, he's coming back. He's coming back. And this Babylonian godless world system that has existed ever since the time of Noah will one day be brought down and shattered. We saw the general viewpoint of it back in chapter 16. Everything that you see, everything that you admire in this world will be gone. Did you hear what I said? Will be gone. All the businesses, all the corporations, all the governments, all the armies, the potentates, the powers, all the grand cathedrals and the churches, including this one, will be gone. Because these are temporary items. The bank accounts we trust in, the medicines that we trust in, the things that we think we have to have, all will be gone when Christ comes back to establish his kingdom. And I guarantee what's coming is better than what is. And as we get into chapter 17, he begins a two-part discussion on this Babylonian kingdom, the godless world system that exists today. And in chapter 17, he focuses on primarily the religious aspect of it, but it's really the encompasses the whole thing. So as we go to Revelation chapter 17, we see his introduction of this situation. And again, he uses imagery here. And as we look at it, and as we'll see a little bit later, the imagery is, is basically explained a little bit later as we'll see. But let's look at the introduction of this. It says in chapter 17, beginning in verse 1, then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls, remember the seven bowls of God's judgment, came and talked with me, saying to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters. The great harlot with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. In this introduction... John clarifies, and that's what the idea is behind chapters 17 and 18. 
God leads John to clarify what this Babylon the Great is actually consisting of. And it's referring to this, it's imaging this harlot sitting on a dragon over great nations. We know the dragon is imagery speaking of Satan himself. We saw that back in chapter 13 and 14. The dragon is the devil himself, the great power behind that which is godless in this world. Never forget that. In this harlot, dare I say even the word whore, this harlot is the adulterous world system that has risen. It's little wonder that God, when He sees His people following after the things of the world and not Him, He calls them adulterers and adulteresses. You see that in the Old Testament as well as in the New Testament. James 4 says, where do wars and, and, and conflict come from among you? He says, it's because you, you fight to meet the desires of your own flesh, to build your own kingdoms. And then he calls his recipients adulterers and adulteresses. First John tells us that when we take our eyes off of God and place them on the world and ourselves, we are literally at enmity with God and adulterers and adulteresses against God. You say, Pastor, that's harsh. I didn't pick this language. And so God speaks of this Babylonian world system as he clarifies it. He characterizes it as a Satan-driven, Satan-powered, adulterous system. Adulterous because it basically betrays God. When somebody's caught up in adultery, that means he or she has taken their attention off of the spouse that they've been married to and placed it onto somebody else they weren't supposed to be with. And that's exactly what people do. God is the creator of the world and the universe. In Genesis, when he created the world, he said he created everything good. And he provided Adam and Eve a choice. He said, you can eat of all the trees in the garden, and I'm sure there were plenty and wonderful and delicious. But he said, one tree you do not eat of, because when you eat of it, you will die. And he's speaking of spiritual death and ultimately physical death. Some in literature has, have characterized this fruit as an apple. Okay, I don't know what it was, but maybe it was apple-like. That apple hanging on the tree was the fruit that represented adultery against God in the world system that is godless. It looked succulent. It looked fresh. It looked delicious. But because Adam and Eve rebelled against God and took of it, humanity hasn't been in rebellion and lostness ever since. So this introduction, he clarifies and, and characterizes this woman. As a matter of fact, there are four women mentioned in the book of Revelation. And ladies don't say, oh, God's picking on women. No, two of these women are wonderful. Two of them aren't so good. A lot of crummy men in the book of Revelation too. But the four women, first of all, he talks about Jezebel way back in chapter 2 when he's unpacking the churches that existed in the day and their flaws. And Jezebel symbolized the apostasy, the turning away, creeping into the church even at that time. Hard to imagine, isn't it? Just... A few decades after Christ, churches were beginning to turn from God and focus on this world religious me first idea. And that's back in Revelation chapter 2, verse 20. The second woman mentioned is Revelation 12 is Israel. 
and how God raised up Israel and through Israel brought the written word, the Bible, and the living word, Christ. And how that nation would come under attack from the devil himself. The other woman we're reading about today and next week, the harlot, the final apostate world system. And that would be in chapters 17 and 18, but focuses on the harlotry of the woman in chapter 17. And then as we move into chapter 19, when Christ is set to come back, he's not going to come back alone. He will bring with him his bride. And there will be then after his second coming, a marriage supper for the bride. And the bride throughout the New Testament is referred to as the church of Jesus Christ. So after a seven-year hiatus, the church comes back into the Revelation record again as the saints return with Christ. But this woman we're looking at this morning is spoken of again as a harlot. We see the presentation of this woman. Look what it says as we move into chapter 17, verse 3. To the wilderness. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast which was full of names of blasphemy having seven heads and ten horns. The woman uh, was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup full of abomination, the abominations and the filthiness of her fornication, and on her forehead was a name written, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and the abominations of the earth. He goes on to say, And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of martyrs of, the, uh, of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. So as we look at this harlot, we see the description of this harlot. Sitting on this beast, clothed in purple and scarlet, anointed with jewels, just spectacular, gaudy, if you will. Drinking from a cup of blood, the blood of martyrs, the blood of saints. And this seems to be the picture of the religious circumstance in the world today. The false religion that rose up during the time of, yes, Cain and Abel, but even after the flood, it reared its ugly head and began to be rooted in Babylon, which is why she carries the mark Babylon. The word mystery there means the, the unknown religion. Mystery Babylon. And some Bible commentators have zero in, zeroed in on certain religions, but I don't think you can do that. I think that all religion, which basically is human-based and human-focused, Christianity, let me clarify, is not a religion. The word religio in Latin means to bind back or to tie back. Religion is humanity's effort to try to tie itself to God, to promote itself, to earn its own way to heaven, to prove to God that we're better than He says we are. Through religion, you keep commandments. Through religion, you keep laws. Through religion, you hop and jump to someone else's trumpet. Through religion, you have priests and imams, cult leaders. There are many different religions in this world. People say, but pastor, doesn't that mean everybody believes in God and don't they all lead to God? No. That goes against the logical law of non-contradiction because all these religions contradict each other. 
even down to their viewpoint of God. And according to the logical law of non-contradiction, two things that contradict one another both can't be right. It can't be daytime and nighttime at the same time. If I look out that window and say it's daytime, and someone else says, no, it's right, and no, it's not, it's nighttime. Somebody's wrong. All religions contradict one another. But they all have one common denominator. They're all trying to earn heaven, storm heaven, conquer heaven for their own glory in some way or another. We don't have time to unpack that this morning. And interestingly enough, if you trace the history of religion itself, it'll take you back to the city of Babylon. Because much of the religious imagery, even in so-called Christian religions today, are simply hand-me-downs from that Babylonian religion that has crept its way through history. Why, even in Babylon, they had a, they had a, they had a god by the name of Tammuz. As a matter of fact, archaeologists have gone through ancient Babylon, and interestingly enough, they found crosses, images of crosses in ancient archaeological sites. And for the unlearned and uneducated, you would think, oh, they had Christianity back then. Well, not five, six hundred years before Christ, they wouldn't have. But that was imagery symbolizing Tau, which was a name for Tammuz. Tammuz's mother was Samarimus. And according to Babylonian religion, she conceived Tammuz as a virgin. And according to Babylonian religion, Tammuz was gored by a bull and killed. This also passed through uh, Zoroastrianism to the Persians and so forth. The Greeks have similar stories and even Roman and Greco mythology. Because all of these myths and all these religion stories, even though the names have been changed and the trappings have been changed, they teach the same human-centered religion. Christianity is different because Christ rose again from the dead and he's alive. You say, but there were wounded sons and mothers in each one. Yes, because Satan was preparing a counterfeit. And so these godly religions that still are in existence today, some even calling themselves Christian religion. You say, how do I know the difference? How do I know what's true? Seek out the truth. Examine what they say. Examine what they believe and, and set it up against reality and truth and scripture. But this godly, godless rather religion robes itself in purple and scarlet. The colors of empire. As a matter of fact, Christendom itself. The merging of church and state in the Middle Ages, was an amazing illustration of this very harlot. Because empires and emperors would, would festoon themselves in scarlet and purple, jewels and so forth. Her imagery speaks of seven heads, seven horns, and, and, and seven mountains. And some people say, well, it must be Roman Catholicism. Listen, I'm not here to pick on Roman Catholics. Do I agree with Roman Catholic doctrine? No. But this involves every godless world religion that's ever come, in, come in, 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 into the subject, into the picture. And they still exist today. And so we see that description sitting on the scarlet beast, which is the devil. 
having seven heads, which refer to the mountains, ten horns. Interesting enough, in John's day, Rome was the great world system. And Rome, the city of Rome, was built on seven hills. And it represented, at that moment, that grand, horrible world system that was oppressing and enslaving. And so this was way, the way God communicated to John, yes, this is what you're seeing. Ten hordes referred to these ten kingdoms that would one day come. We've already looked at them earlier in Revelation. That one day out of this godless system will arise a confederation of ten nations under the leader of the beast, the abomination, the lawless one, or as we have popularly called him, the Antichrist. Adorned with purple and scarlet, with gold and precious stones, having in her hand a golden cup full of the blood of the saints and the martyrs. Because God's people have always been harassed by these governments, beaten and destroyed by these governments. Men and women and children have died because of these false governments and these false religions. Even Christendom, the mixture of church and state in the Middle Ages, during the Spanish Inquisition, murdered thousands upon thousands of Bible-believing Christians. After the Reformation, Christians who, 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 who wanted a Bible in their own language. John Huss, the great reformer prior to Martin Luther, was burned at the stake with a dunce cap on his head because he wanted the Bible translated into the language of the people. In the Middle Ages, it was illegal to own a Bible. Not only that, but it was illegal to have it in your own language. Nobody would do it. So Christian and non-Christian's religion flourished and they still thrive. So this woman is designated as the great harlot. And as we read on, it says she became drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled with amazement. She wasn't as beautiful as she thought she was. She was really denigrated. She was a lustful, murderous, drunken entity, which is what the world religious system is and the world system we live in and today is. And empire after empire, Rome at the time John was writing this was the embodiment of this, both its religion and its economy. It enslaved much of the world of that day. And the spirit of Rome continues. So we see this woman presented the description, the designation, and also her degradation. Let's get it a little bit further. We got a lot of cover. We're not going to, gonna, I'm not going to keep you as long as I can help it. But now we're going to get the explanation. I told you and I've told you that Revelation and the Bible itself, its best commentary is the book itself. Again, I'm not going to get up here and make any pronouncements to the best of my human ability that I'm trying to draw from Scripture itself. So let's begin in verse 7 as we see the exposition of this great harlot. First of all, we see her spiritual connections. The spiritual connections of this godly world system, verse 7. But the angel said to me, why did you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman of the beast that carries her, and the beast that carries her, which has the seven heads and the ten horns. Verse 8. The beast you saw was, is, and is, and is not, and will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go to perdition. And those who dwell on the earth will marvel, whose name, 
whose names are not written in the book of life. This would be the unsaved. From the foundation of the world, when they see the beast that was and is not and yet is. We saw back in chapters 13 and 14, this grand leader would appear to be assassinated, taken out, and then rise up again. A counterfeit of Christ. And so he's giving this description. This is a satanic entity from the bottomless pit. You know, as we look at our world today and we see governments and we see economies... The United States was unique and I think still is to some extent because we are the first government that literally put God, at least in our documents, at the center of who and what we are. Our own original documents said that our rights come from the God of nature, that we are endowed with rights from our Creator. Most kingdoms before that were monarchies and empires. Even the monarchy of Great Britain sees the king or queen as the representative of God on earth. But it was America that made it unique in that we said our rights don't come from a king or an emperor. They come from God himself. But yet we still have that human desire to replace God with government. And so as we see this passage, we see the spiritual connection. It is from the dragon at the bottomless pit. What you see in the world, and yes, there are moral people, good people, but at the ultimate, at the end of the day, every government, every world system, religious or economic, is going to crash. And it's a political thing at the end of the day. Now, when you think of politics, I'm not talking about Republicans and Democrats. Don't get caught up in that. I'm neither a Republican or Democrat, just in case you need to know that. Because what we as believers should be focusing on is not party but morality, biblical truth. He goes on to say in verse 9, Here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. At that time, Rome was the epitome of this world system. Rome built on seven hills. There are also seven kings. Five have fallen. One is and another has yet to come. This is speaking of those world empires that Daniel relates in chapters 2 and 7. And when he comes, he must continue a short time as the Antichrist rise. The beast that was and is not is himself also the eighth and and is of the seventh and is going to perdition. This is all an iteration of the culmination of the Gentile godless world powers where the Antichrist will be the ultimate ruler coming out of this seventh world system. And he will be taken down. Politically speaking, this is that what's coming. As you see the world moving towards a more global economy. We've never been able to do that before until now. Um, Am I saying the rapture is going to happen soon and we're in the end times? I'm not going to say any of that stuff. Here's the thing. If I ever got up in front of you and told you when the rapture has happened, you're quietly allowed to get up and walk out on me. And if anybody tells you that, you just smile and shake their hand and walk away. I don't have a timeline, but I do believe the world is moving in that direction. It's, it's, it's unavoidable to reach that conclusion. As a matter of fact, they have different groups that are meeting to try to pull the world together in one government. And as you look, this isn't conspiracy theories. This is actual fact. The ten horns, verse 12, which you saw are ten kings who have received no kingdom as yet, but they receive authority by the one They received authority for one hour as kings with the beast, a short time. The Antichrist will have this 
confederacy, this seventh kingdom as a king, he'll have it established. He'll be the eighth king. These are of one mind and they will give their power and authority to the beast. These will make war with the lamb and with the lamb and the lamb will overcome them. That's the battle of Armageddon that we saw alluded to in chapter 16. The world will be drawn together and they will have a war. And then we'll see in chapter 19 when Christ comes back, they turn on him. The Lamb will overcome them, for He is Lord of lords and King of kings. And those who are with Him are called chosen and faithful. So politically speaking, this is a global concern, as we're going to see. These ten nations are going to rise up. They're going to be led by this eighth leader, this, this beast, this abomination, this antichrist. And he will establish this numbering system, this marking system. And this will be, and again, we are to the place now where we can do that technically, digitally. And again, we're in a place where the world wants to come together and be as one. These things can and will happen. And when Christ does come back, as they fight their battle, they will turn on him and his saints. But God will prevail. Spiritual connections, satanic Political connections, one world government under the Antichrist, a culmination, if you will, of all that took place, all the hopes and dreams of the people of earth at the time of the Tower of Babel. And then as we move into verse 15, as we finish things up, he said, Then he said to me, The waters which you saw, where the harlot sits, are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. The waters in the book of Revelation represent all nations, the people, the Gentile world powers that rise up. And the ten horns which you saw in the beast, these will hate the harlot and make her desolate and naked and eat her flesh and burn her with fire. They will turn on this economic world religion. There is going to be a, a conflagration, a great war. For God has put it into their hearts to fulfill his purpose to be of one mind and to give their kingdom to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. In other words, as we have said over and over again, and as you read the last passage of seven, uh, chapter 16, they will come together in one final world conflict where even the grand world religions will be turned against. And there'll be a war the likes of which we cannot imagine nor have ever seen. But God will prevail. Verse 18, as we finish this chapter. And the woman you saw is that great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. Again, in John's day, this was representative by the city of Rome. Godless, powerful, massive, and wealthy. Of course, Rome fell in 476. The Eastern Empire did. 476 A.D. The Western half of the empire continued until... 1806, excuse me, not 1806, 1545 when the Muslims finally captured it and the Ottoman Empire ruled. But Europe adopted the Roman Empire theme and you had the Holy Roman Empire, supposedly Christian. That's when you had church and state mixed until that until 1806 when Napoleon knocked that down. That's why history is important, by the way. You need to know why things are because of how things went. Rome still exists in the nations of Europe, while Rome itself is not very significant. 
Well, one day these nations will rise. One day this world system, the global system, will come into play. And then they will turn on the religious, they will turn on each other until Christ comes back and makes it all good. A lot of information. How do we respond to that? Well, let's look at our response today. It all comes down to where is our hope based in 2023? Where are our hopes and dreams and aspirations based, especially as a church? We got an election coming up next year. Oh my goodness, there's going to be ugliness, hatred, name-calling, and all sorts of stupidity in the name of politics. Don't get me tied up in that because you don't want to hear what my answers are going to be to you. Because my hope is not in the White House. My hope is not in the State House. My hope is in the God of Heaven. The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Let's talk about our heart, our seat of affection. 1 John 2, verses 15 through 17 says this, Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. For if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. In other words, one of our responses as believers is to divorce our affection to this world system and place it back on God and His kingdom. Seek first the kingdom of God, Jesus said. We saw this morning that the kingdom is valuable. The kingdom is growing. And God seeks a pure kingdom. And let's be practical. If you want to talk about choosing sides, I think that's rather simplistic, but let's do it. Which side would you rather be on, the winning side or the losing side? Because God's kingdom will ultimately prevail. And everything in this world will pass. So where are your affections? Are you locked into this world? Do you love the things of this world? I spoke to a lady years ago and she said, we were talking about the end times and the rapture. She goes, I hope there is no such thing as rapture. I said, why? She goes, I don't want to leave this world. I love this world. And she was the wife of one of our deacons. She says, I don't want to go to heaven right away. There are things I need to see, things I need to buy, things I need to do. I'm quoting her verbatim. Is that how you and I think? If our heart is focused on this world, we are adulterers when it comes to God. Not only our heart, but our mind. Paul said in Romans 12, verse 2, And do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In other words, think differently. Change your mind. That's what the word repent means. God throughout the book of Revelation, as well as the rest of Scripture, calls humanity over and over, repent, repent, repent. And it literally means just change your mind, your focus, instead of on self, on God. We get caught up in this world and all of its stuff and all of its machinations. Here's the thing. If the rapture doesn't happen anytime soon, and I don't know if it will, but listen, one way or another, if we don't get raptured, we'll get ruptured. We'll die and take out and go and leave this world. And you know what you get to take with you? Nothing. Thank you. So what does Jesus say? Through John again in 1 John in his letter, we looked at it a few months ago. That beautiful apple, fruit, whatever you want to call it, let's say we call it an apple. The book of Revelation shows the true nature of it. It's 
just wilting and rotten. And God says this through John as we finish. He says, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And look what he says. The world is passing away. You read about it in Revelation 17 and 18. The world is passing away. And the lust of it, the inordinate desires of it. But look at the last line. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Do you want to get simplistic again? Let's talk about investment. You wouldn't make financial investments into things you know are going to fail. Why would you invest your life in a world godless world system that you know is going to fail? Why would you set your affections on a politician or a party? Why would you set your hopes on Apple or AI or anything like that today? Why should you and I set our affections on godless government when the creator of the heavens and the earth reaches out for our affection? That's where we need to change our mind, focus our heart, seek first the kingdom of God and all those things that we need to get along in this old world, he says, I will take care of them. Do you know that? Your choice. Let's stand as we close in prayer. Heads bowed and eyes are closed. The book of Revelation tells us the truth of how things are going to be. The book of Revelation shares with us the message of God's ultimate ending of this time, this world, and its, its, its powers, its religions. It's all rotten. It's been rotten since the beginning, and it's going to crumble. Are you going to go with it, your family, your children? I'll tell you, the world's scrambling for your children today. You and I either need to give our children and grandchildren to Christ and do everything short of sin to get them to focus on Him. Because if we don't, the world will win them. And it's winning generations now. Joshua, at the precipice of the promised land, said, Choose you this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods on the other side of the river, referring to the ungodly false gods of the pagans, or the Lord. Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God. This morning we spent time in the scriptures. Man, if you don't come to Sunday school, you need to get here. Spent time in the scriptures studying the kingdom of heaven. I'm glad we've chosen a curriculum that keeps everybody on the same page. Because I think God uses that. He did this morning. And it's a choice that doesn't happen just this morning. I'm not going to have an aisle invitation because you can make a choice this morning and mess it up tomorrow. I'm talk this is a daily choice, sometimes an hourly choice, but choose you this day. Where is your allegiance? Where is your hope? Is it in the kingdoms and stuff of this world or is it in God? For additional sermon resources and to find out who we are, visit us online at westconcordchurch.com.
Thanks for listening. <laughs>